0: I want to ask you to just uh, take out your Bible in whatever form you have your Bible in in this day and time. And I, I, I'd like to think that a good many of you have, have one of these leather-bound situations here. And, um, but if you have your phone and you've got an app that you use regularly to keep up with your reading of the Scripture, then that's just fine too. But I want you to find Matthew, the book of Matthew, first book In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story recorded for us where 12 men who had walked with Jesus, heard him talk, eaten with him, lived with him basically for, would live with him for the better part of three years. They find themselves in a situation where they are absolutely terrified, scared to death. Fear had stolen their peace. Fear had stolen their courage. Fear had stolen, at least for that moment in time, their vision of who they could be, what they could be for the Lord the power of fear to shut you down. Now, these were, these were 12 men, again, who had looked at Jesus, listened to Jesus, seen what he had done. But fear tackled them and held them down for the count until Jesus took care of their fear. I don't know where you may be this morning, and your circumstances may be so private that nobody really knows the level of fear that works inside you. Or it may be that your circumstances are very well known, and people could say to you, and may or maybe often say to you, I, I understand, or I have a heart for what you're going through. I, I can appreciate your fear. Jesus would say to us, I believe today. I can hear this with the ears of our spirit this morning. Looking right into what we're facing, right into what we're in the middle of. I am stronger than any fear. Trust me. I am stronger than any fear. Trust me. He doesn't say that there are no reasons to be afraid. He doesn't negate or minimize the source of your fear. But what we're going to find this morning as we read through this passage, that Jesus really is stronger than the fears. That can paralyze us, shut us down, cause us to back away from our destiny. Now I want to read something first, read a section first before we get into the story of the storm, okay? You may be in a storm this morning. That may be why there's fear that works in your heart. It may be a Short term, out of the blue storm that has engulfed you, like happened with the 12 in the boat. Or it may have been a storm that's been in process for a, a good while, a long time. Either way, he's going to give us some important principles, some important keys, and how for our fear to be beaten, our fear to be subdued by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, start with me in in about verse 14 of Matthew chapter 14. When he went ashore, Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate and the time has already passed, already passed for folks normally to eat supper, to have their dinner. So send the multitudes away, they instructed Jesus, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude, and they all ate. And were satisfied. In other words, they had enough. (laughs) They they had a full stomach and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets, and there were about 5,000 men who ate aside from the women and the children. Over the years, Scholars, students of the Bible, have commented on this passage of Scripture and have run cross-country from Matthew chapter 14 backwards to Genesis chapter 1 and have pointed out that this is a creative miracle of the same order of Jesus stepping out on nothing in Genesis chapter 1 speaking to nothing, saying, let there be light, and all the lights in the universe turn on. And he set in motion by his spoken word the created order for the universe, for this earth in particular, and for the rest of the universe. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, very, very specifically says In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things have come into being by him. Nothing has come into being except by means of Jesus Christ, the Word. Then John would move on to say The law came through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, and then he would say it was Jesus who explained the invisible God. He explained the invisible God in Matthew chapter 14 by proving one more time that the one true and living God still has the power to create. To create and to do in such a way to bless people, to to express the compassion of God for people. The power of heaven, the power of God to create all that is, can be tapped at any time, can be manifested at any time. God chooses to do it all over again to make sure that the needs of people, the concerns of people are taken care of and are met. It was important for these 12 men more so probably than any of the others who would be watching because at least 11 of these 12 would be entrusted with the future redemptive enterprise of the church. The role of Jesus leading the church, they would take the place of Jesus. He would go to heaven, he would fill them with his spirit, and they would lead the growth and the expansion of the church to encompass the world. But what they needed to know was That even if if they only had five tortillas (laughs) and two pieces of catfish and they've got 5,000 men, not counting the women and children who are hungry and need to be fed, that was going to be, with the power of God on it, more than enough. That they didn't, didn't need to back off from, be worried about the lack of supply Or the shortage of means to meet needs. If they will take whatever it is they have. And not try to do it on their own. Not get shut down that well we don't have any more. And we don't have this. And we should have that. Just take what you have. And hand it to Jesus. Hand it to Jesus. He will build the church upon the rock of the revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But the truth of the matter is, he's the one who's going to build the church. It's not going to be apostles. It's not going to be evangelists. It's not going to be prophets. It's not going to be pastors. It's going to be Jesus and Jesus alone who will build the church if it's really the church that's being built and not just a crowd and not just a social movement. They needed to know that, that they'd never be short of resources when they take whatever they had, it was all they had, and give it to Jesus. Now, there have been, there've been folks many situations in our lives as God's people where he's proven to us his power in that way, where what we had should never have lasted that long. Well, what we had should never have gone that far. Five loaves and two fish. Five tortillas and two pieces of catfish. And somehow, some way, the blessing and the power and the mercy of God upon our lives has resulted in the powerful meeting of needs. So they needed to see that. And needed to see that kind of power. You and I need to see and know that kind of power. But now the plot thickens. Verse 22. And immediately, after those things had happened, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Capernaum or Bethesda. Bethsaida, excuse me, one of those communities on the far side that they other side of the Sea of Galilee that was home to them. While he sent the multitudes away. Verse 23. And after he sent the multitudes away he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, the boat that had the 12 disciples in it. A stadion is a means of measure, about 600 feet, your margin, marginal reading may show you. The same story repeated in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of John. In John, it's, it's translated that, that they were thinking that it was three or four miles, three or four miles out from the bank. Many stadio away from the land. And look, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, it may have had a sail on the boat, but if the wind was contrary, it probably wasn't going to do them a whole lot of good with a smaller vessel like that. So more than likely, They were using the oars. They were paddling, as we would say. They were straining against the oars against the wind that was in their face. Battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three and six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. That's one thing to hear second graders cry out. It's one thing to hear a two-year-old cry out. It's another whole ball game to hear a boat load of men, several of them seasoned fishermen, crying out for fear, not cheering a sports team on, but crying out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Take courage! It is I." Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you. He doesn't say, Lord, since it is you. He doesn't say, Lord, because I know it's you. He said, Lord, if it is you, if it really is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But seeing the wind, more than likely seeing what the wind was doing. Hard to see the wind. You can see what the wind blows. You can see what the wind stirs up. You can see what the wind churns on the top of a body of water. Seeing that, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Now, I want you to back up to the front end of this with me. And I want us to think a little bit together about storms, storms that God allows somehow, some way that are so strong that they can terrify us, that they can shut us down, that they can cause us to lose our focus, that they can cause us to lose our vision, cause us to lose our sense of destiny. Why would the Lord allow such things? What would be his purpose for allowing such things in the lives of those he loves? And we talked about one kind or type of his power that's important for us to know is available to us that he can still do when he chooses, and that is to meet needs and to provide in great abundance, to rend the heavens and come down in the form of material provision, material plenty, and satisfying the starving cravings of needy people. Yes, he can. But what about a storm? In the first place, first thing we need, what is the source of, a, of the of a storm? Is God the source of the storm? Or is Satan the source of the storm? Now, the devil had to know who was in that boat. He knew that Peter and James and, John and Matthew, the saved tax collector, who might not ever have put his number 11 in a fishing boat until the time he started to follow Jesus. And then on this night, Matthew was probably wondering, what have I gotten myself into? He wasn't a boat guy. He was a land guy. He, he, He liked to walk on rocks and liked to, i like to see stuff solid, and here he is out in this middle of this completely darkened night with the wind howling and the waves crashing against the boat. Where would that contrary wind come from? The wind was contrary. Where was it coming from? I just want to identify the source. The source is not the goodness of God. The source is not the kindness of God. The source is the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. It is the one said of Jesus whose works, the works of the devil, he, the son of man, came to destroy. But if he didn't send them, watch how he uses them this jesus there were some things folks that these 12 were going to learn in the storm and no place other than the storm that was going to stand them in good stead for the rest of their lives in walking with jesus The things that they learned in this storm, they could never have learned on dry ground. They could never have learned with all those 12 basketfuls of bread stacked up over there. The only place that they could know that Jesus was stronger than any of their fears was in the middle of a midnight storm. God doesn't waste the sufferings of his people. God doesn't waste the sorrows of his people. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And I want you to notice two or three things straight from this passage that are used of God to alleviate the conquering power of a fear that can grip us in a storm. How did he address their fear? Well, look again. He had sent them out. He was watching. He knew. He was on a mountain, could see. Knew where they were because it says he was going to them on the water. He knew where they were in the storm. He knew what kind of storm it was. And the storm, no matter the waves or the contrary wind, the storm was not going to keep Jesus from showing up with his men. The storm had no power to shackle Jesus, to back him off, to shut him down. They took the boat, so he just took the water. Whatever it took, whatever was necessary for him to get to his men, he was going to use it, and he did. Now understand, this is in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We're talking now... He has been crucified for our sins, buried on the third day, raised, ascended to the Father, and He has sent His Spirit to dwell inside each one of us. It is Christ in us that is our hope of glory. That there's no place you're going to ever be where He is not already. So in that sense, we're different. We're not have to wait and have to wait for Him to show up. He's already here. We may not always feel that. We may not always sense that. And there's a principle that I I believe we can glean from this passage along those lines that helps so much in our season of fear, in our times of fear, in the middle of the storm. In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, Now understand. There were no lights. Batteries hadn't been invented. Triple A's, (laughs) double A's, Q beams didn't exist. There was no lit harbor. It was pitch dark. It was a stormy night. Winds howling, waves crashing. Middle of the night, there in the boat, and it had to be somewhere close. They saw the form of a man. He wasn't radiant. He wasn't glistening as on the man of transfiguration. He was in his humbled form. He was the man Jesus out of nowhere, completely unexpected. One of them looks over to the right or to the left and they see something. And it's somebody. But they didn't know when they first saw it that it was Jesus. Now, folks, listen to me. Sometimes, Jesus is liable to show up in a form you and I are not ready for. Well, he's got to be a Baptist. How do you know? He's got to be a Pentecostal. How do you know? He's got to be a Catholic. He's got to be this color skin. He's got to have this kind of accent. How do you know? For God so loved the whole world, the whole world equally, the whole world passionately, the whole world with great mercy in his heart. So about the time we get to say, well, that couldn't be God, and that couldn't be God, and that's, then just you're just talking like your double first cousin of Pharisees because he wasn't one of our boys. We can't trust his education. We can't trust his background because he wasn't one of us. He never has been one of us. Any one of us is. He came out of heaven. So he could take us back to heaven. So, so they didn't know who he was. They weren't sure whether it was a ghost, whether it was a spirit. But, but they all knew that they had seen something. Good news is. Jesus knew their fear. Jesus read the terror in their hearts. Jesus knew what he was doing to them in that sense. He knew he was coming to them outside any prearranged box, outside any frame of reference that they might have had. He knew that, and he did it anyway. And he would have the power to shut the storm down so that they would have never experienced a storm, a windstorm like that, but he didn't because he knows that the storms are the only places we're going to learn certain dimensions of his power and his presence. Without the storms, we are not prepared. Without the storms, we're not ready because he would say, In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have storms. You're going to have stresses. You're going to have persecutions and opposition. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But we only learn that when we're more than likely in the middle of some situation where we're being pummeled by the world. Or by the circumstances of this life. And it's in the middle of those places of pummeling that somehow, some way, maybe in a form we can't even really be sure that it's him, but we hear this voice saying, "It's me. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. I'm here." I'm not out there somewhere. I'm not over yonder somewhere. I hadn't quit loving you and started liking somebody else better. I know where you are. I love you. you. Nothing the devil can do will ever keep me away from you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. In the middle of a midnight storm, he shows up and he speaks a word to them. It's me. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Now, before they could recognize for sure the form, they could recognize the sound of his voice. When when you have a dear friend, someone who's raised you, you don't have to see their face if you just can hear their voice. You you, you know who it is greeting you from the other side of the front door. You, You know the sound of the voice on the phone. You know the sound of the voice. My sheep, oh, will hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And bless that joy heart. Bless her little heart. I mean to tell you, she's convinced that it's mental illness for a child of God to take seriously and literally the word of Jesus to his sheep. My sheep will hear my voice. And I know them. And on the basis of what they hear me say, they'll follow me. Lord, just save joy. Let her know the joy of your salvation one day. Oh, my goodness. How sad. How arrogant in the sadness to judge that, that no Christian could ever think they could hear the voice of Jesus to their hearts. Well, enough on that public commentary. But I just had to put that in. It's relevant here. Peter, James, and John, and Peter, maybe more clearly than the rest of them, heard Jesus' voice, My, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I'm going to give you two things, two truths from this passage that will not obliterate all levels of fear, all all sensings of fear, but they strike a death blow at the heart of that which can generate fear. The first one is this, the sense of the presence of Jesus, the sense of his presence The second is the sound of his voice. The sense of his presence, and the sound of his voice. The sense of his presence, and the sound of his voice. The sense of his presence, and the sound of his voice. It won't matter If you were on the side of Mount St. Helens and it ruptures right under your feet, if somehow there has come to you a sense of, he's here. Jesus is here. It, It won't matter to the degree that it would have if the world blows up if you're knowing in your knower, somehow, some way, He is with you. Yeah. I see you. Parking lot. Before you go in for a major confrontation, major encounter with something in your professional life, things in family that there seems to be no end to the waves, the contrary waves and winds just keep churning in your direction, it won't matter nearly as much if in the middle of that storm, somehow there has come to be the sense in your heart that Jesus Christ is there. Here's where we get heart from. Lord, if it's really you, Peter, not since it's you, because it's you, if it's really you, then Lord bid me to come to you on the water. Immediately, just the sense in Peter's heart that if it was Jesus, listen, and if Jesus is in the house, what do we often say? Anything can happen the sense of his presence. And he wasn't even sure if it was really Jesus, which gives so much encouragement back to us to just be honest in the middle of our fears. God, I don't don't, don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. And I don't know where in the universe you are. But I need you. I need you to sense your presence i need to know that you here folks listen if that wasn't what jesus wanted us to experience continually why would he have ever given the holy spirit why wouldn't he have just left it with a copy of the scripture and architectural designs and images that we can go and remember 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 He wants infinitely more than that for you and me. He wants us to know Christ is in me. That his presence is real. And we have the right. When the storm hits and the waves are big and the wind is howling and it seems to go on, it's the middle of the night, we can't see our hand in front of our face. God, if it's really you. Jesus, if it's really you. Jesus, is it really you? And then the second thing, the sound of his voice. The sound of his voice. He had said to the men first, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. They recognized the sound of his voice. Faith rose up. There was a maybe 80% chance that's really is Jesus, and we're just not hallucinating auditorially here. And so Simon Peter, you know, in a room, open mouth first. You know, he just he just can't he just can't not say something. So so faith starts rising in his heart, but he's still not 100% sure. He's still got some faith working, and that gets him to say this Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. I guarantee you he hadn't gotten in the boat thinking about that. But when I get out there and the Lord comes over, like, here's what I'd like to have because I want to make the scripture. I want to be in Matthew chapter 14. When Matthew writes his gospel, I want to be there. Never had that thought. The sense of the presence of Jesus, the sound of the voice of Jesus evoked faith in his heart. And so he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come, to which Jesus said, come, come. There's one word, come. At that instant, at that moment, faith rose in Peter's heart to do the rest of what We read about that he did. Paul would say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. You don't just automatically have faith. Faith is the result of something. Faith is the reflex action of something. Faith is the result of you having heard something in your heart. Not just in your brain. Not just in your mind. But some way, somehow, God by His Spirit has. It may not be audible. It may not have been written. But it's real. And it's clear. And it's strong. And it's vivid. And it's specific. The Lord speaks to our hearts. And then the response to that is the ability to believe it. And to act on the basis of what He said to us. I mean, that's so critical. It's as if the Lord is saying to these disciples who would need to remember this, rehearse this many times in the future. Storm hits. We don't know what to do. But Lord, may we sense your presence. And Lord, in the middle of the storm, may we hear your voice. The faith to not give up. The faith to even attempt something that had never been attempted before. If it was attempted, nobody ever did it. But to get out of that boat and walk on the water, it was in direct response to something that Peter heard. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What the storms can do and fear can do is to sap our faith. We can get to thinking, if I was a better Christian, if I was doing more stuff right, this wouldn't have befallen me. Well, we all could fall off in that that bar ditch if we wanted to. But it's the mercy of God that has rewritten our lives, that has restored us to a place of sonship and daughtership with the Lord. And so from that place, we're wanting to hear His voice. Lord, would you speak to me in the storm? Folks, listen, here's another thing. If we only think that God speaks to us when everything's calm and all bills are paid and we've got this triumphant, giant-killing faith that God only speaks to us then, we miss the whole point of the story. This was a boatload of guys filled with the future, with the assignment of the future redemptive enterprise of the whole church, and they they are rocked to their core with fear and doubt and unbelief. And Jesus, knowing that, didn't give up on them and start over with another group. He came to them. Not in a bright, sunshiny day, but in the middle of the night, in a stormy night, his presence manifest, and his voice was heard. How? So wonder how did Peter do that? How did Peter do that? I'll tell you how he did it. He heard Jesus say to him, Come. Jesus didn't say that to Matthew and James and John and the rest of them in the boat. He said, Come to Peter. And Peter went. We don't all hear the same things from the Lord, we're not all at the same posture going through our storms. I just keep thinking about Matthew. If it was a seat belt, he had that thing on. If he had water wings, he had about six of them on each arm. Just thinking, what have I got? I don't, I don't like boats. I don't like water. I don't like nights without any light. But it wasn't enough to disqualify him from being there in the middle of a storm What a pivotal, powerful teaching moment of Jesus with his men. I am no stranger to storms. I am not afraid of storms, he was saying by his presence. I'm not offended by storms. You're not here because you did something wrong. You're here in this boat, guys, because you were doing exactly what I told you to do. And as you were pursuing my instruction, the enemy came billowing this contrary wind in your direction. I know that. So here's what I'll do. I'll make my presence known. And I will speak my word to your heart. The last thing that's such a joy is the certainty of the outcome. The sense of his presence, the sound of his voice, and the certainty of the outcome. He said to Peter, why why did you doubt me? He said, why did you doubt me? Oh you have a little faith. But I don't, I don't think he was saying it with a scorning, scowling, punishing kind of sound. It was just, you see, you see, I told you to come. You got your eyes off of me, you got your b- b- away from off of the presence of Jesus and onto some of this other stuff. These other things that are real, and as a result of that, you 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 began to sink. But I'm going to finish, Simon Peter, what I started in you. You're not going down in the Sea of Galilee. You're not going to die here. You're not going to drown here. took hold of him and pulled him up. And then it says, and this is so amazing, they evidently walked together. over the wave, don't know how far they were, maybe not just a few steps, but they, they walked on that congealed liquid, silent enough to hold two grown men side by side taking steps. And they walked together, and it says when they got in the boat, it slicked off. Jesus is not just a fair-weather, smooth-water friend. not just a Sunday morning Savior. When did this happen? Where did this happen? Probably wasn't on a Sabbath. And I guarantee you it wasn't in Nazareth's synagogue or Jerusalem's temple. Out in the real world. Out where storms hit and people go crazy and things can scare you in the middle of the night. Oh, and it was there. He made his presence known, and he caused his voice to be heard. And the result of that was the certainty of the outcome. They would live the rest of their days remembering what happened that night. Just like you, just like we, when we realize we have permission and we we don't don't treat the storms as if they're just this bad, horrible thing that that I, I don't ever want to think about again. That Oh my goodness, what an error that is. What a loss of a great source of encouragement and power and strength that is. I bet you they relived this thing as many times as it came up in their conversation or as many times privately as they found themselves in a storm and realizing that even though we're in a storm, it doesn't mean that he can't show up and it doesn't mean that he won't speak. Thank you, Lord, for the storm. Thank you, Lord, for proving that you're stronger than my worst fears. Now look they didn't they didn't get out of that boat and go go move into some five million dollar Mediterranean mansion. They didn't get out of that boat, and all of a sudden everyone was bowing and scraping, said, "Oh, you got the man of an apostle. Oh, you got the mantle of a prophet you, oh, no like they just they got out of that and they went on to the next thing, and there were troubles and there was conflict and there were miracles and there were demonstrations of power but one day Jesus would be hung on a cross naked beaten beyond recognition the one who had come to them in the storm and he would have prepared them by saying the day's coming when I will be taken from you but don't be afraid if I go away I will come again receive you unto myself for now, in this place and in this time, where your individual storms, your small group storms, but your, this season is upon you, you will remember that—not from that night. Ask me for the sense of my presence, Lord. Make yourself known, please, Lord. I need to know that you're here, and Lord. Let me hear your voice. It may be the repeating of something that he gave to you, a promise that he gave to you before the storm ever hit. And he brings that back to mind. He just restores it with fresh color, fresh fire, fresh life, or it may be something brand new that he speaks to you. The sense of his presence, the sound of his voice. Are you in a storm? storm has you riddled with fear, the sense of his presence, the sound of his voice. You see, as long, we we talk about it, as long as Simon Peter concentrated on the presence of Jesus, he did all right. In the storm. Still in the storm, he lost track of the presence of Jesus and he got to noticing what was going on all around him, the impact of the storm. The storm doesn't want to encourage you. The storm doesn't want to buttress faith. It's contrary to all of those things because it's sent from an evil, dark source. But when the concentration is on his presence and on the sound of his voice, it's amazing how the storms that have terrified us seem to take the place that has apportioned them In God's economy of Jesus is Lord. He's our Savior. He's in charge. While we're in this world, we'll have tribulation, but we are hanging on that, that he has overcome the world. We got our feet in some storms, but we got our eyes on the King. Amen. Amen. I want you to say those two things back to me. If you're in in a storm or if you live long enough, something's going to hit us, something's going to happen. We'll be in a situation similar to this. Lord, I need the sense of your presence and the sound of your voice. Would you say that with me? Lord, I need the sense of your presence and the sound of your voice. One more time. Lord, I need the sense of your presence and the sound of your voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I know where they are. I know them, and they will follow me. They'll follow me because as I speak to them, faith will rise to give the ability to keep following. That's how it works. Let me read you one last passage of Scripture. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, probably the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred. He said, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. But the Lord stood with me. Everyone else deserted, Paul would say, and sooner or later in the things that try our souls, there will not be room for lots of people in the journey that we're walking. It might not have been a hostile rejection. It may just be because they can't be there. They can't understand that. All left me, but the Lord stood with me. That's what I'm talking about. Lord, make your presence known. That was Paul. Make your presence known. And just let me hear your voice. Lord, we thank you for your heart, for your children. We thank you that your desire is to train us and to shape us into followers of Jesus. Thank you for your compassion that would not be insulted by our cry. Lord, would you just let us know you're here. Or Lord, will you just please let us hear your voice that that doesn't offend you. In fact, it seems from these and other scriptures, you welcome that from our hearts. Because you want us to know your presence, and you want us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.